Who cares about your team winning the Super Bowl when your team could win the offseason? My name is Danny Heifetz, and I host the Ringer NFL Draft Show with Danny Kelly, Ben Solak, and Craig Horlbeck. We cover trades, free agency, the draft, obviously. We cover quarterbacks, and there are a lot of good quarterbacks this year. And the teams at the top of the draft, Washington, New England, Chicago, big teams with big histories. Listen to the Ringer NFL Draft Show on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Thomas's. Thomas's presents Pondering the Bagel with Tom. Oh, the paradox of the bagel. Tis crunchy yet soft. Tis filling yet has a hole. Tis a vehicle for spreads, but only travels from toaster to plate. Thomas's. Huzzah! A toast to breakfast. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. We're not all professional athletes, but we all have health goals. That's why Anytime Fitness gives you access to personalized plans and support from a coach. Plus, you can track your training, nutrition, and recovery progress with the Anytime Fitness app, just like the pros. With 24-7 access to more than 5,000 gyms worldwide, get more from your gym membership. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, restrictions, all apply. See website for details. On today's episode of One Shining Podcast, we are talking the four top 10 tilts of the weekend. Of course, we're going to talk about Carolina Duke. We're going to do the good, the bag, the ugly, Kansas-Houston, Coach Cal dodging the radio post-game. That's going to be a conversation we'll have with Cal Mann. And of course, Purdue-Wisconsin, the final four top 10 tilts. So we'll talk about all four of those games with Kyle Mann. We'll also do a good version of, a fun version, I should say, maybe not a good version, a fun version of Good Call, Bad Call. Uh, Morgan Freeman is involved, so that's going to be fun to talk about. Also, there's a Caitlin Cam on Fox. Caitlin Clark, officially the biggest star in all of college basketball. So a lot is happening. Kyle, anything else before we get into today's episode? Not too much. Just slowly coming to grips with the fact that the tournament might not have a red storm in it this year. But first, Woody Durham. Welcome back to One Shining Podcast. It is Monday, February 5th, and we are reeling because we just watched four top 10 tilts this weekend. We're going to talk about them all. Kyle Mann is here on a Monday. Kyle Mann, great to see you, man. You know, Ted, I'm nearsighted. So from a distance, when I saw that text, uh, the the top t- the top four tilts, I thought it said something else at first, and I had to get in a little closer. I'll just leave that right. there. But um, yeah. I didn't know what you had got. No, this is not the Wimbledon a... list from the page two days. This is yeah. uh, this is about college basketball. Sure, sure. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, it was man. It was a wild day. I had to set it ahead of ahead of time. I had to be like. We're doing, you know, I did the, the the focus karate chop, like we're doing this on this yeah. day, just be ready. And man, it delivered. It was it was a good day of basketball. I mean, um, I will get into it more, but uh, I was very pleased. You can feel the, you can, you know, when spring rolls around here, it's kind of like the the tr- the drudgery out of winter, and and then the excitement of March Madness line up together, where it's just mm. this real nuclear push of good energy, and I can start to feel it happening. I wish that uh, my team would do better, but we'll we'll talk more about that. But I'm I'm feeling good. I'm feeling good as well. And uh, you you nailed it. It was a college basketball weekend. It's the Pro Bowl. Nobody's watching the Pro Bowl. Um, I guess people were watching the Grammys last night. But for the most part, I mean, it's raining in Los Angeles, and all I could do was hunker down and watch college basketball. And we usually do the good. We do the bag. We do the ugly. We're gonna do a connotation, a connotation of the good this week. Uh, it's not the good guy. It's gonna be the actually good because. 
Uh, good versus evil is something that always delivers, and uh, it's something that warms my heart. North Carolina beat Duke this weekend. A wire-to-wire win, in my opinion. Duke led for 16 seconds. They scored the first basket, but otherwise a wire-to-wire win. And uh, we're going to talk about the four top 10 tilts. Let's start here. Um, Jay Williams in college game at college game day in Chapel Hill. Um, he shows the Duke shirt early on. He's trying to win back the Duke fans. Duke fans were believing this was going to be a game for them to kind of send the message that they are ready to make the run to let people know that they're here. After the game, John Shire talks about toughness. Tyrese Proctor, a.k.a. Reese, that's what the Duke fans call him. Reese just didn't show up for this game, did not have a good game. Cormac Ryan has a great game. And this was the Harrison Ingram game. His sister, volleyball player at Duke, wearing a Carolina jersey in the crowd. Um, 21 points, career high, incredible game, five threes. Guy couldn't miss a shot that he looked at. And uh, let's just start with this. Uh, Carolina Duke, did it deliver, Kyle Man? Because uh, Jay Billis, that is now his catchphrase. He says it always delivers. I think it did deliver, but I want to check with you because we saw four top 10 games. Me personally, I thought this was the best, but I did have vested interest. Uh, what say you? Uh, yeah, I think it was the best. Uh, I, well, I noticed you had some courtside video. Did you? Did you? Uh, did you drop in there for the for, just for the game for the day? Well, a lot of people uh, have reached out about this. My brother, shout out to my brother Gil. He has great seats. Uh, he is a lawyer. He is a respectable guy. Former valedictorian. He is the favorite, the favorite son, and the best of us. And uh, this man has second row seats. He's literally in the background when Roger Ayers went to the monitor, and he's like, uh, "This this crowd's about to boo me because I'm about to call a hook and hold an." R.J. Davis. My brother is literally in the background of that shot looking at Roger Ayers with such disgust and and yeah. and just hate. Um, so it was not me. It was my brother. He kind of looks like me, but uh, he's the one that's boots on the ground. And he's the real he's the real true head out there. You know what I mean? Like he really knows what's going on. He listens to the bench. He te- like he's he's eyes and ears on the ground. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I wondered if you had if you had sort of jet set in there and, and parachuted in just for that game. You should have just like not answered and left it vague. So people would be like, damn, what t- what's Tate up to? Right. Um, Bobby overall, Frazier reached out to me, Tyler Hansbrough. They're like, what the hell? You're at the game. And I'm like, no, this is a this is a Internet. You know what I mean? I duped you. But uh, shout out to all my Carolina people that were actually in the building because uh, great atmosphere, Kyle, man. We don't hear much about that, about the Dean Dome, but a great atmosphere for this game. Tom, Tommy Frazier, that was the uh, the Nebraska running back, right? Didn't they have? Yeah, a, that's a, my yeah. uncle, by the way, Tommy Frazier, my guy. Oh, okay, he okay, cool. played baseball uh, at Carolina. Yeah, yeah, good look. Yeah, you know, <laughs> you get, Tommy Frazier is a good athletic game, man. You know, you're gonna win some games. Yeah. Um, overall, I thought this game, you you hit it. I mean, Harrison Ingram Ingram was just unconscious. Um, you know, UNC was really effective. I thought playing out of the post. I thought it was one of Baycott's better passing games of the year. Um, I don't know who who jumped out to you as somebody other than Ingram. I mean, uh, you know, Davis played pretty well, I thought. Was there anybody else that uh, well, what do you think was the main difference in terms of strategy for them to to pull ahead and just kind of because it never really was in question, like you said. Yeah, John Shire came into this game and he said, we're not going to let R.J. Davis beat us. And Ball denied the hell out of him. They could not get him the basketball. And I loved what the counter to that was, which is basically Armando getting low post position, actually working to get low post position. And then they just ran this like split action, this warrior split action, which is like Cadeau into the post, Cadeau screens away for Davis. Davis hit a big three on one of these examples of the split action. Um, Armando, when he has been getting doubled, he has struggled with that in the past. I mean, me and you talked about she boy last year Armando has some of those same tendencies where he kind of gets like tunnel vision and he gets blinders on but in this game 
he did a great job. And I think Filipowski did a terrible job defending him. Um, and they were able to get Armando, Armando the ball in the move um, to get him the ball in the post. And I mean, the guy's 25-10. Best game scoring-wise he's had since the Radford game, which if you check the notes, the first game of the season. Um, but yeah, it was really, I think, Cadeau in the first half, being able to get in the lane, create offense. He did not shoot the ball well. They started sagging off of him, and then they started running these split actions where he's the screener. And I feel like that really opened up for RJ. And um, defensively, a smart Carolina, yeah, yeah, right. I, I thought it was a great adjustment, and I and I have to give credit to H- Hubert Davis. And uh, when you add in the fact that Harrison Ingram's getting kickout threes, Cormac as well, and they're actually knocking him down. Carolina's hard to beat when they hit threes and they hit their shots. So it was kind of a storm for Duke. And, uh, you know, McCain's their best player, in my opinion. So Roach and McCain, they showed up. But our guy Reese did not have a good game. Two points in this one. And Filipowski, um, I think he really hurt his National Player of the Year campaign, if there even was a campaign in this game. Yeah, overall, I thought he had some moments. He He's kind of a polarizing player. Like, you know, I, I don't feel like he's ever, like, consistent enough as a shooter for me to, like, believe in it. But I thought overall, I thought the the point that you made is right, that, you know, UNC played through the post a ton in this game, got a lot of, like, off-ball action. They really... Uh, created more open looks overall you saw duke was duke had some success in their role game but they just didn't produce enough offense so didn't produce enough uh, open shots overall I, I think carolina just looked like the more mature team and honestly they what, are. What a, i mean they're yeah. older i mean that, that's well, the other part. I, I see, I that's see not duke always fans. true though that's not always <laughs> true you know right. age I, doesn't always mean composure yeah yeah duke fans reaction to this game i saw the two reactions from the duke faithful and shout out to them because uh it is it is a rivalry but i have to give my respect their their fallout from this game Kyle, man one there's a bunch of old geezers that beat them that's why they lost this game and number two um all their players in the nba had bigger nights um they were pulling up <laughs> Stats from like Paolo Bancaro and, uh, you know, Derek Lively. And that's how you know that you beat Duke when they start bringing out the NBA stats. So, uh, you know, that that was the reaction. Which, but you're right. Their role, the pick and roll. I mean, they, they did a great job, you know, in the in, with their role game in general. But it just wasn't enough on this night in Chapel Hill. Well, uh, a good, good way to put it here is, you know, 14, 14 roller touches for Duke and only .571 points per possession. So you're doing a lot of one thing and not doing it well. Whereas Carolina, it's interesting that um, it's funny that you said the thing about Duke fans and NBA players. Kentucky fans are like the opposite. They just do not want to hear. Uh, did you see the tweet I had about NBA which, players and all the UK fans respect. were like, oh, yeah. I was like, God, all right. Sorry, guys. <laughs> um, yeah, no, it, it was... Um, it's interesting the evolution of this season that, um, you know, this Carolina with a lot of new pieces. We knew that, you know, they were swapping in, you know, new pieces in some key spots. Um, they the uh, the energy seems to be trending pretty good. I mean, do, do how do you feel about Carolina sort of in the, the horse race of contender contendership, whatever the word is? Contention, I think, is the word I'm looking for. Um, you, you seem like you're feeling a lot better about it. The vibes are good. I feel like Harrison Ingram is the difference maker. And when Harrison Ingram is able to, I mean, he had this this one specific play where he basically tra- tracks down an offensive rebound, gets on top like of the basketball, throws it back to half court. Cadeau catches it left-handed right before it would have been a backcourt and then swings it over to Davis. Davis swings it to the corner. Cormac hits a three. 
that never happens without the energy and effort of Harrison Ingram. And I think that he is the difference maker for this team. I love that he has the green light. I love that he's relentless rebounding, so you don't have to rely on Baycott to give all this energy. I mean, early in this game, there's no whistles for the first eight to ten minutes of the game. Armando Baycott is grabbing his shorts. He's about to pass out. You know, everybody in this game, it's basically a conditioning test. But Harrison Ingram is the best conditioned player on the court. And that really matters because win, lose, or draw, Carolina is going to run. That's just the rule of thumb. And being the best conditioned team means you can win the national championship. Harrison Ingram is the best conditioned player on the court. And I think that takes him to a different level. The only thing that I worry about with this Carolina team, and you saw it in this game, Elliot Cadeau at the free throw line. Is he a reliable person at the free throw line? They had to take him out of the game late in this game. Um, the last minute's going to take forever. You need ball handlers on the court, but you have to take him off the court because of his free throw shooting. If that's a liability come March, that's my biggest concern with this team. But if Kadokid can kind of become reliable um, at a baseline level from the free throw line, I think th this team has the ceiling of Phoenix and maybe even more. Um, but it starts with Harrison Ingram. I mean, RJ Davis, National Player of the Year, great scorer. Armando, double-double machine, but I think Harrison Ingram is the most important player on the team, and he showed it in this game. Um, he would never say he was, but I, I think he is. Yeah, the stats with RJ, I was thinking about it because I hadn't actually looked at his line. I felt like he played better than he actually did. I mean, the five assists, you know, five for 14, not the best percentage in the world, but I think the key thing that you and I have kind of hit on is Baycott, there's not like tremendous pressure on Baycott to be amazing, even though he had a, a good game Saturday. It's like he just has to make the simple play. And a lot of times guys get carried away and they just carry the weight of the world on them. Like, I need to go and get to the basket. If I see two, I still got to score. It's like, no, this team has enough shooting and enough balance and enough penetration to just make the simple play. Like, there, there isn't the weight of the world on him, even though he did go, you know, 10 for 13, for 25 points uh, and five assists. We're, we're seeing what happens when he chooses the difference between seeing when they have an advantage and getting off of it and seeing when he's single covered and going and scoring because we know we could do that. We've seen him prove those things. If he continues to do that, I think you're going to start to see um, the balance for Carolina flatten out. You know, we think of him as the fifth year player, like he needs to step up and be this, you know, dominant player. We thought he might need to be the player of the year type guy, but really, yeah, um, I think Carolina's ceiling is different. The, is bet the better he handles that, the higher I think Carolina's ceiling is. It's one of many factors, but that's that's a key one for me. And I think the seventh guy is Seth Trimble, and he was great in this game. Ten points in this game. Uh, he's able to get downhill, get to the basket, get a ball on the basket so Armando can be the garbage man on the offensive boards. Also, Harrison Ingram, relentless, like I said, on the offensive boards. 13 rebounds in this game, leads the team in rebounds. So, um, yeah, they, they Armando got told by Hubert Davis before this game, like, stop being so passe. Stop being so passive. Stop saying, like, okay, RJ, this is your team. This is your run. This is your moment. Like, I need Armando to be double-double Armando, 20-point, 10-rebound Armando. I need RJ to be 20-point scorer. I need Harrison Ingram to be 15-15 and 15 guy. You know what I mean? 15-10, and 10, whatever it is. And I think empowering those guys. Last year, it was kind of like your turn, my turn, um, and it turned into a toxic situation. Obviously, we all <laughs> witnessed it happen in real time. Um, so I think this year, the, the roles are more defined. Guys are more willing to be we versus me. And uh, you got to give you know Hubert Davis credit. And even Shire after the game, I wanted to give him credit because he was uh, very complimentary of North Carolina and their toughness and very hard on his guys for not diving for loose balls and not being more tough. And you, you see Duke fans point that out about this team. They want to see them get that extra gear. They obviously have the talent. If you just look at the, the rosters, probably Duke is more quote-unquote talented, 
but they're just not a team. They're not as cohesive as the Carolina team. And it's funny because that used to be the opposite of the rivalry. It used to be like Duke was this cohesive unit of a team versus a bunch of superstar athletes at North Carolina. You know what I mean? Yeah. And now it's it's kind of funny how it's flipped. Yeah, yeah. I also was noticing too that like it's uh, you talk about cohesive units. That's a, that's a nice segue to it. That I think that um, both of these teams are sort of seeing their rotation shore up. You know, big minutes for the starters in both of these games. You know, Carolina had four guys go over thirty minutes, and really, uh, you mentioned Trimble. Outside of that, only three guys really played significant time. I mean, Withers got in for ten, and Jalen Washington got it. Do you see anybody there? You talked about Cadeau, maybe. Cadeau, having Cadeau as this variable that can be, you know, his weakness at the free throw line. Do you see somebody else emerging that could come up and shore some of that up? Or they're like, or are they kind of locked in with that? Those eight guys really, really six, if you consider like major minutes. Yeah, I mean, I think Trimble is the answer if Cadeau is is struggling. He's the one that steps in there at that guard position. And then, I mean, you need Withers or Washington. Um, I would prefer it to be Washington. You see flashes of Jalen Washington where you're like, man, this guy looks league. Like mm-hmm. he's really long. He's really good. He can shoot the basketball. He has great touch. But then sometimes he makes like freshman mistakes and he's a sophomore. So um, if you could get him to really lock in and to be reliable behind Baycott and maybe Zayden High as well, I think he's another big. I mean, they're going to need three to four bigs against, let's say, Zach Eady or Hunter Dickinson or, you know, one of these types of guys, you know, even Balo at Arizona. You're going to need three bigs. Um UConn with Klingon, you're going to need three bigs. So uh, you need Zayden High and Washington to step up behind him. And I think Trimble can step in for Cadeau, but Cadeau is awesome. I mean, the, the three is getting closer, Kyle, man. I just want you to know that. It gets closer every single time. Now we're rimming out. Um, eventually, <laughs> it will, eventually it will hit. Um, and then I think I, I'll really believe in Carolina. Um, but uh, yeah, shout out to, to everybody that watched that game. It was a fun game. Now let's talk about the other game that was, uh, we. this will be under the bag label. Uh, of course, we're talking about the Adidas Bagmen themselves, the Kansas Jayhawks, and they take on the Jordan Jumpman Bagmen at Houston, and they absolutely handle Houston. And they were, uh, you know, pay heed. Uh, to to Allen Fieldhouse. That was the the ethos of this game. They were very upset that Vegas decided that uh, they were not going to be favorites at home. Um, a lot of people, Fran Fraschilla pointing this out, that Kansas fans are upset about this. I had no idea that Kansas fans are so like fixated on the lines, um, but apparently Vegas has disrespected Allen Fieldhouse and Lawrence, Kansas at large. And in this game, they absolutely manhandled Houston and uh, Houston really had no answer. The pace of Kansas was ridiculous when Houston has to play fast and they get sped up. It is not good. It is not pretty. And uh, they just look overmatched, overwhelmed. And Johnny Furphy is kind of looking like the fifth guy for Kansas. What were your thoughts on this game? I mean, should I be super out on Houston? Should I be like, okay, Kansas is one of those top eight teams to win the title? Like, where did you stand after we watched this one? Um, watching it, you you said it. I mean, like Houston really wants to play. They want to impl- impose their style. It's like their whole thing. We've seen this basically every year of Kelvin Sampson's tenure at Houston. This is the way he likes to go. And uh, I mentioned on another show about the way Houston brings that physical pressure on, you know, trapping the post, on, you know, trapping ball screens. Like they they love to aggressively trap and get you kind of on your on your heels a little bit and and making bad passes, putting air under passes, turning it over, not fit. They, they want to make you, they want to give you that initial bump. I don't know if you've ever played against somebody like that. People who, I mean, uh, there's there's the, the, the wet paper towel version of this, like where Chris Paul will give you that initial bump and then you just kind of have to go by him uh, in these days. But Houston, 
the, I think the main thing that was hurting them was they came up against a bunch of guys who were really not bothered by that. There was no shell shock factor. Um, you know, the big, the big one being the big guy, Dickinson, Dickinson, Dickinson has played that way his whole career and they don't really have like a seven footer who can like really, really right. physically get in his eye line and things like that. So you saw Kansas just kind of not, they weren't slowed down at all. Like, uh, you know, the, the pace, the pace in this game compared to what they normally like to play was, I mean, just a touch slower, but it didn't seem to really affect the, the, their scoring. But I thought that was the biggest thing is that Houston stylistically was trying to impose their style and they just couldn't. Yeah, they couldn't at all. And it's crazy that they took, I mean, almost 25, I think 25 more shots in this game than Kansas, which is crazy to think about. They shoot 36%. Kansas shoots 69% from the field. So obviously a stark contrast between those two. But I think you make a great point about the bigs. I mean, Tugler's six foot seven, and he's guarding Hunter Dickinson. I love um, Tugler, by the way. But yeah, I, 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 <laughs> I love his the, day. But I love the big, the big build of these guys. These guys aren't tall, they're big. You know what I mean? Like they have force. But but the height is still a concern with this team with some of those matchups, and I think you saw it a little bit in this game. But Jamal Shedd is is the the heart of this team. He's the reason that Houston can be as good. He struggled in this game. Um, he did not look like himself. L.J. Cryer, twenty four points. He was the the lone bright spot. But I mean, it but wasn't they were all like late. A, I mean, like exactly. LJ Cryer, I was criticizing was him right <laughs> over over text to some friends. I was just like, man, Cryer's got to be better. He was bad until it didn't matter, and then he put some points on the board. But ultimately not enough when they needed it, I don't think. Yeah, it was absolute domination. And I understand why Kansas fans are upset when you look at the polls and they see Houston in front of them. And then everyone's talking about the resumes, Houston 17 uh, and 0 non-con. And then they've obviously lost three games already in conference, the the dog park, the proverbial dog park that we talked about. So um, I understand Kansas fans being upset, but they look great in this game. I uh, I have to give Johnny Furphy his due. Eight rebounds as well. Everyone's talking about the three-point shot, making 17 points in this one. But the eight rebounds really stands out. K.J. Adams was great in this game as well. And then McCullers, the best player. I mean, they really do have a nice nucleus. And I feel like, for whatever reason, we've gotten off the Kansas can win the national title conversation. And that's wrong. I mean, they are very probably, much in the conversation. Probably just the way Bill Self wants it, I would imagine, right? right. Just to, yeah, go ahead, don't pay attention, then they can just kind of quietly get better. It's a little different thing when you're like in the at the top in the driver's seat, everybody on you week to week, and then you can. It's different when you can get a little quiet, a little time to kind of work on yourself, and then just creep up. It's the ISO model, right? I think mm -hmm. something that's interesting about this that you ha you almost have to do like a double take when you see it is uh, Kansas turned the ball over eighteen times in this game, and Houston <laughs> right. only turned it over three. Um, but they just murdered them on the def defensive glass. Uh, I mean, like ending possessions is such a key part of playing defense. You know, you play all the best defense in the world. We'll talk more about that later. Uh, and, and if you can't end the possession, it doesn't matter. So uh, overall, I. You talked about McCuller. You know they won the assist game in this one too. McCuller, I thought was awesome. I texted you all like after he was he was great at making those sort of like free safety when you're zoning on the weak side. Whenever help comes, he was just making great plays. Um, he, he's a guy who just consistently makes the right decision. Um, as I've said, big McCuller fan. Yeah, I like KJ Adams a lot too. Seven assists in this game, and he was great. He 
he kind of plays like a weird like Dr- Draymond like point forward hybrid sometimes where like he sets the tone defensively but he also initiates offense um I think his handle is a little bit underrated so I I like the versatility of Kansas's lineup and if Furphy can be this guy now I I see people saying Furphy might be a first round pick this year Kyle man so that's how much the Furphy hype has gotten to the next level but we love Aussies uh everybody loves the Aussies so uh you know we we saw it with Ben Simmons I mean you know if he was from America I'm not sure he gets the same love in high school or especially at LSU but you're Australian people think you're tough and you know you're just like uh just just someone we're fascinated by I've seen it happen too many times to count Kyle man so uh Johnny Furphy put him on the big board uh KOC that's now it's time well we got a Mike Dunleavy Jr. comp during the game I don't know if you heard that one I was like <laughs> yeah, I well, here we go I don't know if I'm ready to go there but um I mean he I guess the sh- the shaggy hair that like the the visual bias like the visual bias is something that I think could be hard to overcome like on broadcasts with, with comps like uh, RJ Barrett famously compared to James Harden during a game one time <laughs> uh Jay Nivey and John Morant because they both had the hair yeah uh, that you see that one a lot I feel like but Furphy yeah. we've teased Furphy's defense I feel like it was I mean was it Sean Jones there was somebody else that was just really cooking him uh I'm trying to remember who it was but uh he played great man they they've just been looking for that last guy to kind of like space it and make it work. This team passes really well. We've seen, man, the media timeouts in the NCAA tournament are longer. Um, You know, depth is probably a little bit overrated, honestly. Like, you don't need 10 guys. You need five, Mm -hmm. six, seven. And, you know, Kansas just needs to, you give Bill Self six, seven guys, and he's going to put together a really good team. Yeah, and if Bill Self is coaching Kansas in the tournament, then watch out because uh, people forget last year he was not coaching in the tournament and they did have a lot of talent. But I think this year, if Furphy can take that next step, um, they're a very scary team. All right, we've done the good, we've done the bad, we've done two top 10 tilts. The next two we're going to put in the ugly category, Coach Cow. Um, and the reason I put in the ugly category is because Coach Cow does not do his radio show after the Tennessee loss. And it got ugly, Kyle, man. The, uh, the Kentucky fans uh, were not happy with Coach Cow. They are pointing the finger uh, at him. Uh, I don't know which finger, but they're pointing one, They're pointing some finger at him, and they're saying, uh, we do not like what we're seeing. We do not like you dodging uh, the radio show. And, uh, you know, I mean, even the the Kentucky sports radios of the world, um, you know, they're going out and basically saying no more excuses for Coach Cal. So I ask you that. Uh, it, it, how many excuses are left, and do you still believe in this team? Because you and I, two weeks ago, we felt pretty good after we saw Big Z's debut. Um, yeah, I mean, I, the, the precipitous fall of vibes has been kind of incredible. Uh, Shocking. I, don't, I don't, uh, I can't, I'm trying to remember. I think the thing that has people just really, really, really upset, you know, we're not, we're nowhere near like people being indifferent and like checking out. It's like, they feel betrayed a little bit because during that Georgia game, I think people saw, they were like, good Lord. They're like, they got all these options. They got this guy who can't miss a shot. This guy that can pass and blocking shots who has really played sparingly ever since then. Um, the big thing I think that hurts them is just, um, you know, defensively, this team is historically bad. Like, they just, they can't get, you know, I mentioned defensive rebounds. That's something Kansas is on the polar opposite of the end of the spectrum. They have a good defensive possession. They're going to end it. Kentucky actually had a few possessions where they, like, kind of did pretty well, forced a missed shot, uh, and they just couldn't get the ball. It was constant. And honestly, you know, throughout this game, um, in terms of excuses, I mean, the out-of-bounds play thing is is really unforgivable, I think. Right. I don't know if you noticed how many times that happened. Not even running complex stuff, Tate. I mean, like, I, I think it was like Ziegler set a back screen on the arrow and Connect just went straight to the rim and dunked. I mean, like, it was just like a pickup play. Like, it was the chillest thing in the world. 
I just think the physicality of Tennessee, um, they're older, they're more mature, they got a lot more. And, and these Kentucky guards, like they're just not getting any better, like with their ball pressure and stuff, miscommunication. Um, they've got some serious cancerous issues, man, that 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 are going to hurt them going down the stretch. I think. Yeah, if you look at Kentucky, I mean, Rob Dillingham after the game talked about how they have to be better. Uh, Tierra talked about the first play of the game. He's going downhill and a guy basically arm bars him. And he's like, oh, this is the type of game we're playing as if he was almost shocked by that reality. I mean, you're playing Tennessee. That's how they play. This is how they play. This is who they are. I mean, Ziegler, 26 points in this game. Josiah Jordan James, 26 points in this game. Two veteran guys that physically, you talked about, uh, you know, Houston trying to physically impose their will on the game and set the tone. Like, that's just what Tennessee kind of did in this game. But I think the encouraging part, if you're a Kentucky fan, is even though the defense is atrocious, atrocious and so bad right now, the offense can keep them in any game. And it kind of did in this game. I mean, at least it kept it within reach because the offense is so good. I mean, Dillingham has 35 off the bench, which is insane. Antonio Reeves with the 21, Reed Shepard 16. But um, the offense is still, to me, gives you like a flutter of hope to say, if we can just rebound and end possessions and just stay connected on the defensive end, we have all the offensive pieces necessary and more to actually be a contender at the top level. And I think that's what's so probably infuriating for Kentucky fans as they watch it because this is fundamental stuff that is being ignored. And then when they want to push back and talk about those fundamental flaws, the response is $3 billion in NBA contracts. What do you want Cal to do? You know what I mean? Look at all my McDonald's All-Americans. And I think like that's where the conversation has gotten like toxic because – both parties, I feel like, are in the right because Cal's saying, look at all the McDonald's All-Americans I've brought to this school and produce and put them in the league. It's just they're having two separate conversations at the same time, and they're both defensive. And while they're both defensive, nobody on the actual team is playing defense. And uh, that is the the most uh, fatal flaw of this team. So as I watch them, I still have the, like, I could see the pieces coming together in March and then being able to make a run. I think everybody can. But it's just frustrating because it feels like they had this moment in the sun and now it's kind of, you know, slowly, you know, dimming a little bit. And now we're talking about Calipari on the hot seat again, which was what we were doing last year in January, which was ridiculous. You know what I mean? Like that's that's the disappointing part from like the outside looking in. Yeah, he got a lot of criticism for like that people wanted him to improve the offense and he went and did it. And, I, you know, I, I just don't think that we expected the defense to go south quite the way it did. I, I think part of the problem is to keep you mentioned the thing, the things that keep them in every game. And that's the offense. And they have some guys that can create off the drill. I mean, like Rob Dillingham has 35 points, six of eight from three. He's incredible. He's, and if, he, if they don't get that, it's a 20 point loss, man. I mean, mm-hmm. this was a total dicking end to end. Like they just got punked. And, you know. That's that's the issue is that like for them to keep that variable that keeps them in every game, it also is going to bring the defensive issues. I think part of the problem is these guys are skinny. I said this all summer. I was like, this is a smaller, skinny set of guys. Even, you know, they, they're going to play lineups where Reeves is like 6'4", Reed is 6'2", 6'3", Rob is like 6'2". Um, you know, they, they are skinny. They can't keep penetration that, you know, Tennessee got to the baseline with a live dribble consistently, constantly all game long. And then when they're going to contest, they're not long enough to bother people. So that's another thing. So if they're going to get, they run the risk of fouling if they get too close. So it's just, there's a lot of issues, man. They're going to, they're going to have to just get better. You know, their, their cohesion, their talking, their communication is going to have to get better. Um, Adutiero having, having health problems sucks. It's, it's a problem. DJ Wagner. So. 
yeah, it's 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 a hairy time. It's amazing how far we've fallen from from how excited we were a couple of weeks ago. I mean, are we worried that like there there is a, a part of this where the fan base does turn on Cal completely? Because I mean, I understand this is what happens after a loss, but it does feel like at, at a higher level, and, and you know, and I see people tweeting out like, you know, here are the top five candidates without. Oh yeah, Cal, that's that's in Cal. The air. Yeah, yeah, right. And then like the buyout numbers and who who's Mitch going to really go after? Who does he like? Who fits the culture here? Is Mark Pope the guy? Uh, is, is Scott Drew the guy? I mean, it is wild and, and i i was very <laughs> i mean i get it i mean i i, I understand what it is to be a blue blood at college basketball it's what happens when you lose especially when you lose to rick barnes who you know kentucky fans they take this game very seriously and rick barnes was told by cal perry to take the tennessee job because it's such a great job and now he's kicking his ass at the job he told him to take i mean i could see why the frustration is there but i but it it can't get so bad that it actually takes away this current iteration of this team because I do think they still have the pieces. Um, I don't like Big Z smiling on the bench. I told you this as well. Like I, I need guys to be a little bit pissed off about it. And it does seem like there's a little bit of a like laissez attitude, uh, which I think makes Kentucky fans even more upset because this is life and death. You know what I mean? For Big Blue Nation, this is this is not a game. Even though it is a game, it's not a game. Yeah, I had somebody tell me that he was like laying down on the like the 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 folding table like on the sideline during practice six. So it's apparently why he didn't play. But he's just kind of in his own world. I think that's part of the thing with Z. Apparently, he's just kind of a like a just smiley. I don't know. I, I've never talked to the kid. I don't know him at all. But that's just kind of the impression that I've gotten from him. Um, they. Well, it's not his fault. I mean, look, I want people to smile, but just like when you get the cutaway to the bench, Kentucky fans are going to be upset about it. You know what I mean? They want you to look like you're aggrieved. Scowl. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Maybe they, Cal they, does that. <laughs> you know, I don't think that they're going to plummet like miss the tournament, but they're they're definitely kind of like plummeting towards. I don't know. Is this going to fall to like eight nine range? You know, they have oh, one good man. win over over your UNC guys, but the the thing is, you know, I, I, that. They they have the talent to beat anybody, but you know if if they play like a physical a, phys, a team with a physical style, um, you know like if they played St. Mary's as a team that I was watching for for us, obviously if they play a team like that that can really slow you down and still score, they're gonna be in trouble, man. It's just um, it's it's uh, it's a weird year, man. I'm I, last year I I was just so confident they had no chance. This year I'm like. I've moved into I'm going to let them surprise me rather than let them hurt me again. That's kind of where I am right now with this team. Yeah, it's hope is a dangerous thing, and they definitely got the <laughs> hopes up of everybody. I mean, myself included, uh, watching Big Z in that first half of the Georgia game. But we all should have figured out when they cut it to eight, Georgia in the second half, that there's a, t- a tale of two halves with this team. But um, if Wagner can get back healthy, if they can get the guys uh you know, connected on defense. I still feel like this team has a very high ceiling. Uh, the other last game, the last top 10 tilt, we had Purdue surviving on the road against Wisconsin. Um, this game was the most Big Ten game ever. Um, I'm just going to say this. I do not think Wisconsin is the sixth best team in the country. Um, sue me. Um, I just don't think they are. But I do think Purdue is a really good basketball team. Um, I like some, I like AJ Store. I like Wisconsin's fight. And I understand there was some, you know, about the officiating at the end of Braden Smith. Uh, did he travel? Did he get pushed? I mean, there was a lot of questionable calls down the stretch um, from the Wisconsin vantage point, obviously. 
But Purdue just kind of feels inevitable in the Big Ten. And, um, you know, if you watch them play, it's almost like suffocating to that reality. And um, Matt Painter has this video going around where he kind of changed this lob play for Fletcher Lawyer to throw a lob to Zach Eady. Zach Eady gets an alley-oop dunk and the ball, you know, hits. uh, I can't remember. Maybe it was Crowell. I think Stephen Crowell. Um, in the head, double taps him, you know, but it was a great moment where it's like Matt Painter changes the play, talking to his players, you know, and everyone's like, God, what a great coach. And I just want to say Matt Painter is a great coach as much as Purdue has their problems in March. Matt Painter is a great coach. Purdue is a class of their own. Um, but of the four top 10 games, this was my least favorite to watch. And maybe that's <laughs> my own um, <laughs> my own ACC bias, Kyle, man. But what did you see in this game? Um, and what are your thoughts on Purdue? Uh, well, I think we need to to mention at the at the start here, Crowell holding his arm on the on the the right. opening tip. That was one of the photos of the year. I think. That was the <laughs> first foul of the game before it even started. I mean, what what is? Uh, you think that's fair game? I've seen some people point out like if you're seven foot four, uh, you should be able you should you should be able to get the tip uh, with one arm down. Um, I'm not sure how I feel about that, but uh, some people are saying it's fair game. I don't think so, but uh, it does help the Zach Eady argument that he does get fouled more than it, more than uh, gets called. You know what I mean? So Purdue fans they're hanging this picture up in their office like see we were right we've been vindicated uh zach Eady does get fouled so that was good for them but it was also an extremely wisconsin ass play to do that like i <laughs> I, I think i would go the other way and say like wisconsin fans are hanging that up in their office because that's what they this like what they're like this is we will do anything we will do anything no it doesn't matter we'll get down in the mud we'll make Scratching you come down surviving. here with us yes um I, uh, yeah, it was a mucky game. It was a mucky game. That's the best way to describe it. A lot of muck. Yeah. Yeah. It was, they were, you know, they were bringing the double a lot after like the second dribble. I was just trying to watch. I always am fascinated to see when teams bring the, uh, the double. I was thinking about the big 10 in general, like this is all going to be like nice training for Zach Eady going forward because he's never going to be the center of attention pardon the, the pun there, but he's never going to be the center of attention like this ever again. So I feel like everything else from here is like, yeah, you adjust to the speed and stuff like that. But overall, I think he's going to be like, ooh, this is kind of a relief. Like, I'm just kind of the backup big. I'm like making the simple play. This is all going to be nice, nice training. But, you know, throughout this game, I think the mid-range stuff was just constantly there for Purdue. They had a lot of floaters, a lot of like mid-range stuff. But, um, you know, they cut this game to two with 426 to go. Um, and, and then Purdue just proceeds to, um, you know, granted, Wisconsin didn't make the best decisions overall, missed some layups, uh, but they, you know, Purdue has this built in sort of grinded out thing with with their with their guards and with uh, with Edie. And they just kind of um, they, they ground it out like it, when it got to two, they just proceeded to like possession by possession um, out out think. Wisconsin, honestly, they just sort of out decisioned them, basically. Mm-hmm. So they looked like a solid team that's gonna that's gonna that's gonna execute in March. Yeah, I saw this uh, Kelvin Sampson clip where he was like, "You can run the, you can learn the play, you can run the play, or you can execute the play." You know what I mean? And I think that Purdue is the perfect example of we execute the play, and I think that's why they're such a good basketball team, and that's why you say they're so well coached. And that was just execution down the stretch from Purdue. As much as Wisconsin fans want to point to the whistles, and look, we all do that. It's college basketball. There's subjectivity in the game. Um, that's just what it is. But I thought Purdue just that was the epitome of who they are. They just out executed, and Lance Jones is. The the most important player on Purdue. Um, and I think the broadcasters and everyone has continued to, to harp on that point because last year in the tournament, they needed that guard that could go get his when, when things kind of break down. And Braden Smith is not that guy. Fletcher Lawyer is not that guy, even though they're both great players, you know, in their own respects. But Lance Jones can do that. And he is a nice 
um, relief point, you know what I mean, for this team. Like when they get down and you know, late in the possession and the execution has not worked out and they can't get the ball to Edie, it's nice that Lance Jones can break you down and get a bucket um, because it just kind of keeps the momentum flowing in a game. And I think that's what um, they really have now. And I think that changes the trajectory of their team. And if he stays healthy and plays this way in March, Purdue's going to make a run. You know what I mean? And uh, that's no knock to, to anybody else on the team. But I just think that even in this game, it was like, okay, it's nice that they have a guy that could do that because last year it was like, you know, Brandon Newman, go do that or someone like that. So it feels like they figured out that part. Yeah, you notice those guys when you don't have them because you end up in these late game situations with these possessions that just feel fruitless. And, you know, you want to have somebody like that you just don't you want to you want to balance between leaning on them too hard like the dealing the dillingham dilemma is kind of an example of that you don't want to lean on them too <laughs> three hard three strikes yeah but get three strikes <laughs> but it's good to have somebody like that you know to sort of bridge the gap between like okay we couldn't get it going on this one they're sort of your they're your sort of like break glass or just push this button in case you know th- th- shit ain't working basically and uh, <laughs> and it and it, it went well for them in that one i i'm curious you said you think that they're like uh, you may you may have just been talking but like you think they're in the cl- a class of their own because I don't think this team could beat UConn. In the Big Ten. In the Big Ten. Oh, the Big Ten. Okay. okay. Yeah, That's yeah, fair. yeah. That's fair. I, yeah. I should specify. I was yeah. saying in the Big Ten. Um, I was just talking. Um, but yeah. <laughs> were you just talking, Tate, or were you for real? <laughs> no, I'm just talking. Uh, I think I think Purdue is in a class of their own in the Big Ten, and I say that with respect. I think Carolina's in a class of their own in the ACC. I think UConn's in a class of their own in the Big East. Um, you know what I mean? Just as far as the conference race, where they currently stand and who they are as a team. Um, but Purdue still has, I mean, I know everyone else has given them the benefit of the doubt after last year and the, and the FDU game, but I, I do need to see signs of where, you know, their pressure points can get relieved and the pressure that they saw in this game. I appreciated that they broke the pressure about 70, 80% of the time, whatever the number is, because that's what they're going to see in March. And I need to see them handle it and, and exceed expectations. And they did in this game. So it makes you feel a little bit better, but I, I think UConn is the number one team in the country. And uh, if you want, if you watch St. John's play them this weekend, they're down at halftime. Things are going St. John's way. And then at the end of the game, Rick Pitino got beat so bad. He's talking about the NCAA enforcement staff. You know what I mean? That's how good UConn is. And they did it without Caravan, who's arguably their most important player. You know what I mean? Some people would argue that. So, um, UConn is talking about classes. I think class one, UConn, you know, one B Purdue, and then one C is like a Carolina, Kansas, like group of teams right there. You know what I mean? So I think that's uh, Tennessee maybe is in that group, but um, yeah, UConn is different. Um, Let's take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to do some good call, bad calls, and uh, we'll do some shout outs. We'll be right back. Happy Super Bowl to all who celebrate from FanDuel, America's number one sports book. If you're like me, Super Bowl Sunday is all about scoring the best seat on the couch, grabbing your favorite football snacks, and placing some Super Bowl bets. In fact, I'm having a Super Bowl party this year. Kyle will be in the building and uh, potentially doing a BS podcast from the house. We'll see how it goes. Um, but if you're looking at the prop bets uh, here for the Super Bowl and FanDuel, my favorite is a fun one. And this is uh, something that's kind of like in your control a little bit. It is to win the coin toss and to win the game. That is to win the coin toss and to win the game. The Kansas City Chiefs 
plus 320 or the San Francisco 49ers plus 260. Um, those are some good odds. And if you think that, hey, the Chiefs are going to win the coin toss, then they're going to win the football game. You can get those odds at plus 320. So you bet 100, you win $320. So FanDuel, they got the stuff. FanDuel has so many ways for you to end the season with a W or two or three. Not only can you bet on who will win Super Bowl 58, but FanDuel also has bets for which players will score a touchdown, how many points will be scored, and so much more. If you're new to FanDuel, join today and you'll get $200 in bonus bets when you win your first $5 bet. Just visit FanDuel.com slash OSP to sign up. That's FanDuel.com slash OSP. Make every moment matter more with FanDuel, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 or older and president select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit TheRinger.com slash RG. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as is non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at Sportsbook.FanDuel.com. Welcome back to One Shining Podcast. We've done the good. We've done the bad. We've done the ugly. I apologize to Big Ten fans. I am not trying to say uh, that your basketball brand is ugly, but there is a lot of swatting of arms in the Big Ten. Um, you know what I mean? Like, I, And a lot of physicality. So sometimes it cannot be aesthetically pleasing, but I do respect the results. Um, so shout out to you guys. Let's do some good call, bad call. Let's start with our guy, Rick Pitino. After his loss to UConn, Rick Pitino goes to his press conference. They ask him about the game, and Rick Pitino says, you know what? I got something else to talk about. He says the NCAA enforcement arm is of no value anymore. Um, he goes on this complete tangent. Again, they were asking him about the game itself. He decided um, it is time for me to let these people know how I actually feel about the NCAA in the NIL world. And I have the quote. He said, quote, it's very difficult time in college basketball because it's free agency. And now I think what's going what's going to happen is they're going to say everybody can transfer. And then if they don't like it, they're going to take them to court. So I think the NCAA enforcement staff should just be disbanded. It's a joke, not because I dislike them. He just wanted to make that. It's not because he dislikes them. Um, this is an objective feeling. Uh, this is not about his own personal feelings, uh, but they're of no value anymore because just look, Tennessee will take him to court. Virginia will take him to court End quote, Rick Pitino. Um, I like the message. I am. I question the timing a little bit. Come in. Um, this is after a long and it's a nice deflection, but I do like the message. What are your thoughts? Good call or bad call? Rick Pitino calling out the NCAA. It's not the most subtle Draper, you know, Don <laughs> Draper changed the conversation move I've ever seen. I mean, not the most subtle, but uh, Rick Pitino, not really a subtle guy to, to you know, to, to just his credit. He's that's um, to, to make an argument for him here. I, I don't, um, after that game, it, Speaking to the, I don't blame him for doing that because overall, I think that game was sort of a statement on where St. John's is. Like you mm -hmm. just kind of saw them hit a wall with their execution, with what their individual talent is able to achieve against a team like UConn. So for him, he comes out there and thinks, I'm going to have to, uh, I don't. Do you think he premeditated that, or do you think he just kind of in the spur of moment was just talking? Do you think he? Do you think after that, if somebody <laughs> asked him, like, Rick, did you mean to do that, or were you just talking? I think Rick would say he was just talking, but I think he's had that in his back pocket. You know what I mean? Like it's kind of break in case of emergency. It's like, do I do I do the NCAA has no real power here rant right now? And as soon as he got asked about the game, and he was probably like, I don't want to talk about this game because he, like you said, it was kind of a referendum on where they are as a program. He's like. Let's do a referendum on the NCAA and where yeah. they stand. What about the NCAA? <laughs> I don't hear you all talking about that. Right, you, right. I mean, also the validity of what he said, I think, is interesting. I mean, like uh, we could gauge that. What is enforceable now? You know, in terms of like the he's mm. he's right about the transfer stuff. There's the the precedent is like all over the place. Like the the scoring rubric, you're like, well, this is what I don't know even how to like. How do you enforce it? Like, but I think the other the next thing to go is like. 
obviously the academic standard part of this. Like these guys are supposed to go to school. That's always been, there's always been workarounds. You, you know, you know about that, Tate. You know, I'm just, Auburn I'm trying to make Carolina fans LSU. mad on a weekly basis yeah, at this point. But um, I got I to yell at all the SEC programs that literally, that they take baseball courses. Yeah. Well, Shout out to them. Public speaking, you know, things like that. Uh, I just, I'm, I'm curious is the academic thing the next thing to go? Because what he's suggesting, I feel like that's the only that's the only like piece of duct tape keeping the flood from coming in of like, this is just a, another level of professional sports. It's funny that Will Wade and Rick Pitino are the messengers. You know what I mean? Because it feels like these are two men who have been jaded by the system talking about why the system is corrupt. And when you have that situation, you're like, well... Um, there's a reason you probably feel this way and you almost like uh, you take the opinion with a grain of salt or maybe multiple grains of salt. But it is funny because they are correct um, and they have called it out and they know what it is. And if they know what it is, we all know what it is. And all the coaches know what it is. I mean, Rick Pitino took a guy from the national championship team last year. and Now he plays on his team. So if there's anyone that understands the the free agency part of it, he does. Um, but he's also not wrong in saying what it is. I just think the NCAA is trying to kick the can for as long as they can before someone picks it up and throws it away. And Rick Pitino is saying, get this trash off the street and throw it in the bin. And everyone is like, it is trash. It is terrible. It does. It has no use here. Get this. I mean, it, it had use once upon a time when we were eating out of the can and the beans were so good and it was a nice hearty meal, but oh, it's like over. This. It's it's long gone. I mean, the, the can is empty. The can is just trash and the can needs to go. And Rick Pitino says he will help us throw it away again right message maybe wrong messenger maybe wrong timing but uh he's not wrong and i think the ncaa knows that the, the clock is ticking and academics has always been a farce as as we all know um even when they took the SAT part out of it. And the fact that when Derrick Rose is making an amazing run with Memphis, we're talking about his SAT scores the entire time, right? I mean, there has always been this gatekeeping in college basketball that the bad guys have wanted to break because in their mind, they are Robin Hood. They're saying, I'm going to this kid who is not, you know, coming from an inner city atmosphere, generally speaking. He doesn't have this. He doesn't have that. I'm going to give them a bag of cash and opportunity. And look at me. I'm so valiant. And meanwhile, the NCAA Call me is the bad, bad guy. guy. Yeah. 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 You say you think I'm the bad guy. Look what I'm doing. Um, so Improving like it's always lives. it's always been this thing. And uh, I, I just think. It, we all know what it is. It's all out in the open. It's all going to break down. And uh, what does the new system look like? What What is that? And, and what is the next version of the NCAA? Do they shut down and then they become, you know, like some new conglomerate group? I don't know what it is. And everybody joins it. I don't know what it looks like, but they're going to get sued to oblivion until that moment, until they're completely, you know, null and void in the conversation. And Rick Pitino is just telling us, that right after he lost to UConn, um, which is which is probably the most fascinating part. <laughs> it's interesting because you think about them getting sued and you think like, well, they wouldn't want to do that because the court costs would like eat into their operating budget. But it's like, where does their operating budget even come from in the first place? Predominantly comes from the NCAA tournament. Am I wrong? Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah, so, I mean that that's 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 the only thing that is concerning is because the NCAA is the NCAA tournament, obviously. And that is the one thing in college basketball that is unquestioned uh, the best. You know what I mean? It's the one good thing we got going. And they kind of have this golden goose. And and that is why like Fox and all these other places starting other tournaments 
is I feel like they're setting the field to be like, we're the new tournament that everyone plays in. And that's the new NCAA tournament. That's and galaxy brain shit I didn't even think about. That's a, the tournament, them having, oh, like you're saying we could evolve to the point where like the whole championship format could change. Is what it's, you're all, it's all dead. It's all null and void. And then there's got to be another tournament where all these programs play in to see who's the national champion. And then if you have another tournament, that is quote unquote the tournament. You just stage it at the same time and... What if, the NIT, what if the NIT, it comes full circle, the NIT becomes the t- the, the tournament again? That would be, that would be that great. Would be a, yeah. That would be great because the NIT does have standing. I mean, if you go, like Virginia's got NIT banners, Carolina's got NIT banners, and Carmichael. I mean, the NIT had respect once upon a time. When, yeah. when there was one team that would go from your conference. Obviously, there's better than just one team in your conference. So the NIT had real standing. It's crazy. Shout out to Rick Pitino. He's fighting the good fight out there for us. Um, but it, it's an exercise. You talked about the galaxy brain. I feel like you can go down a million different rabbit rabbit holes here to figure out what it looks like. But what do we know? It's not going to look like it does now. Well, <laughs> that's what Rick Pitino knows. We, I, I mean, internally, I scoff at that. I know we, I'm getting us on this subject a little more maybe than we even meant to. But like, I scoff a little bit about that. The idea of things being that radically different, there being that much of a sea change in the sport. But like... Why would I think that? Because like lately, everything, the whole foundation of how they do business and how they do, you know, players transferring, players getting paid, all those things are shifting. So it's like, where right. does it stop? I don't, I think it would be, it'd probably be a little short-sighted to think that it's going to stop. I, you know, I, I think like the, the one-off tournament thing, I think the nature of that will still stay there, but it, it does make you wonder about the tournament as a product itself. Like if the, if the member institutions are the thing that are holding it together, they can all leave. We've seen it in football. They went and did it. So it's like, it's not off the table. It makes you wonder what it's going to be like 15, 20 years from now. It might just be a completely different animal. And that's why if you're the NCAA, and not to say that they haven't done this, as Jerry Tarkanian famously told us, uh, but if they go after one of the white whales of college basketball, like a Kentucky or a Carolina or a Kansas or, you know, one of these programs, and they say, screw you, we're not enforcing shit. We're going to go, we're leaving. You know what I mean? Like, and then, and then the, and then once that happens, the, the, the wall is broken and the, and the dam is flooded and the rest, you know, kind of falls out from there. So it's a fascinating situation, and it is free agency. I mean, I saw Mark Godfrey. I mean, shout out to Mark Godfrey. He's got a podcast now. He was talking about this. He's like, we need some sort of regulations. Like, we, we need something. And if Mark Godfrey is begging for regulations, I mean, my <laughs> God, where are we? I mean, what, what is what is going on? It's like I mean, the FTX is, guy being like, we got to get this. We need some rules, damn it. Yeah, you know? right. <laughs> it's crazy. It's crazy. So uh, that's that's the wild, wild west, as Rick Pitino explained it. It is definitely the wild, wild west. Um, let's do some more get call, back call. Um, Armando Baycott, North Carolina Center, says the ACC runs through him. Um, good call or bad call, Kyle, <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Just by sheer, like, uh, um, being a mainstay, I mean, just by perseverance, I guess that's true. I saw this quote after, I saw this quote after, like, the game. I was still celebrating it. I was like, oh, no. Um, The only good part about it is that it upset Duke fans ad nauseum. And even the Duke fans that claim objectivity about the their bracketology and things like that, they're quote tweeting this and they're saying, like, here's why it does not run through Armando Baycott. And you're like, yes. <laughs> Burn the calories to make that argument. Go ahead, please. Yes. Yeah, please. I think that, no, the quote is just funny. That's my reaction. It's a great I was quote. joking about yeah, pissing funny. off UNC fans. I know, like, the graphic, the, the, yeah, the, the, the just sheer perseverance part of it with his career, like, uh, that I was saying, like, 
I texted you about that graphic about him and Ralph Sampson and Tim Duncan being in the same graphic. I right. was just like, let's not confuse <laughs> volume with, you know, like Bakeout's a great college player. I'm not trying to say he's not. It's just um, confusing, confusing the sort of the volume with with elite status on some level is is a little off. Like, I, you know, he's not like a Tyler Hansbrough level player. Saw him, saw him courtside at that game. Yeah, um, shout out T Hans. That's just a great. I like the energy to say that. You know, I should yeah. be like NBA YouTube runs through me. God damn, you know, like I just enjoy that. I enjoy that energy. The feel good, you know, be confident, man. It's I'm I'm for it on that level. He kind of said it in just um, okay. I didn't hear and, the and, quote, so that's yeah, good. right. But the quote card was incredible because it uh, infuriated people, like I said. Um, and they they went to quote tweeting, which in reality, uh, you know, I talked about Hunter Dickinson being a headline hunter. Armando has the headline hunter gene as well. You know what I mean? He knows what's going to drum up the conversation. Um, you know, we saw this in 2022 with him calling out Jeff Goodman. You know what I mean? Like that, he knows what's going to get aggregated and put out there. So I think, uh, yeah, it, it's a good call because it's funny. But it's a, it's a bad call if you're being serious because, um, you know, let's let's be serious about this. Uh, and also R.J. Davis, you know, ACC Player of the Year. So that's it may run through R.J. Davis. Let's say that. That, that might be the fair way to say it. Uh, next one, Xavier's Quincy Oliveri, uh, 43 points. Um, and then afterwards was crying in the postgame talking about most points he ever scored in a game in his life. Uh Best shot-making display of the season, good call or bad call, because it was uh, impressive, to say the least. And Xavier, they, they've got some legs again. Will we put it above Henson at, at Cameron? We think so. I, I think I might put the Henson one above it just because DePaul is so depleted. Uh, they, I think that's what hurts him. It's it's the fact that he did it against DePaul. I mean, it, it doesn't take away from the magnificence of the way he played, but DePaul hurts. Yeah, I mean, doing it at Cameron does help. Uh, yeah, I mean, they were up 20 and he was hunting 40 with like a minute to go. So it was like, yeah, <laughs> let's maybe cool the Jets a little bit there. But like I, I was noticing, too, that like um, like you said, not to discount it completely, but like uh, it was quite a display. And if you're watching this game, um, DePaul, that's the big thing that was jumping out to me is just how like, good God, DePaul's three and 19 now. But in their last 10 games, they've been giving up 40 percent on above the break threes. That's one of the most we quit stats I've ever heard in my <laughs> life. That means like that means you're just sauntering out to contest people like division one perimeter players are going to make threes stepping in. So they've given up. But all of our like um Notice he's a fifth year guy out of Rice. You know, he had a big, you know, he was one of those big time scoring guys from the mid major level that transferred up. Do you think he left because of the, he's not a McMurtry fan? That's what I wanted to ask. Uh, yeah. You maybe he's just kind of like, that's not his bag. What, what do you make of that? I was going to say, this is a big year for Rice. We got the Pulitzer Prize banner that has been brought to our attention. Shout out to them. We have them beating Memphis, kind of sending Memphis on like a, a tailspin. Um, and then also we get Oliveri, who comes from Rice, dropping 43 points. So like three strikes and you have my attention, Rice. Um, and I and I think it may be the case. He's looking up. He's like, I'm not going to write a book that's going to win a Pulitzer Prize. What can I really do at Rice? Let me go play for Sean Miller. Um, yeah. and, uh, it was a great moment. So never going uh, to be better than McMurtry. So I got to get out of here. Uh, <laughs> no, he here. was, he was really feeling it. Like he, he had a couple transition pull-ups that were, um, I haven't screenshotted in my doc here. Like nobody under the basket. Um, it's, 
I like that energy. That's my pickup energy sometimes. You know, I like mm. to just, you know, it pisses people off. They're like, it's, a, it's an insult. They're like, how dare you take that shot? And he did it a few different times. Um, he did, you know, I was saying he was hunting it. He did make a few, he made the right play a lot. Um, but overall, I, I think Xavier needed this. You know, they had a lot of fans in the building for that game. Overall, yeah. going into that game, they were 11 and 10, 5 and 5 in the league. Uh, it was a feel-good story for them on, in a year where they've just kind of been middling, honestly. Yeah, so shout-out to Sean Miller. Shout-out to the Sean Miller podcast. Shout-out to uh, uh, Oliveri. Uh, he's a great guy and uh, had a great post game with his dad, talking about his dad. Anytime you get that, it's always good stuff. Next up, Gonzaga fans throw trash on the court after they lost to St. Mary's. Some questionable calls in that game. Good call or bad call throwing trash on the court. Randy Bennett, he dodged a cup. Um, from the fans that were throwing it on. I mean, the Keno is a crazy place. Uh, but do, do you ever respect throwing trash on the court? Is this like, uh, should should it be something that you never do? Kind of how Jay Billis views court storming? Or is it something that sometimes if the refs are this bad, in their opinion, you can do it? Uh, I think it's, you know, I, I'm going to make a really audacious claim here and say that you should just never do that, you know? Uh, I think I that's a I, fair claim. I, I don't think even think it's all that. I, I think everybody agrees. Don't throw trash on the court. Um, I mean, maybe if there was, uh, if there were like a murderer, like sneaking up behind someone and I, and I was the only one <laughs> that to get saw their them attention. and I had, a, yeah. and I had, you know, an opportunity to like throw a, a Coke can at them or something and hurt <laughs> them. I mean, maybe that you could make up an exception. I don't know if you can think of another one, but, um, overall, one. overall, you know, the, the play in question, Mahaney got all the way to the baseline. I, th I think I'm trying to, I had it pulled up here, the exact play where it happened. Uh, the screenshot yeah. looks worse than the real live moment, which is always w when things go bad. You know what I mean? Where it's like people see it like and they see the picture and they're like, this is egregious. But in real time, it wasn't as egregious as the screenshot. Yeah. 53 seconds left. Mahaney, it was a white shoe on a white painted leather on the baseline. If you, if you want to make up some kind of outlandish excuse, it's a stretch, I know. But he he drives baseline, steps out. The the big killer here though is that not only that he stepped out but he 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 sprayed it out to uh to um I I'm always like having a hard time with it Mar Marshallonis yes so mm. throws it out to him they hit a three they go up uh, I think like sixty three fifty seven it was a dagger I mean that's the part that's the biggest part of it if, if he right. steps out and the play just kind of pitters out or whatever that stinks but it was a dagger in the game it was a big play. Yeah, it was a big play, and I understand Gonzaga fans being upset. And it's also like Gonzaga fans, I dealt with it last year. Um, welcome to the bubble, boys. They are going to break you down. They are going to make you frustrated, and they are going to throw what about this isms at you over and over again, even though the logic does not add up across the board. And you just have to fight the good fight. And at the end of the day, they do play Kentucky uh, February 10th, so there is a chance that maybe Gonzaga could get a quality win to get people's attention, but the Bubble Boys are no fun, and uh, I would throw trash on the court, I guess, if I realized I was going to have to deal with them again. Uh, next one, Indiana State's Robbie Avila is going to be the most popular man in March. I saw this this weekend. Uh, obviously, Indiana State played Drake. Indiana State wins that game. Um, there's been a lot of conversation about Robbie and his rec specs and uh, all, all the hype around him. Everyone's talking about no stars in college basketball. Felt like the college basketball media was trying to push him to the forefront this weekend. Do we think he's actually going to be a star come March? Good call or bad call? Oh, he's going to be a star. There's no question yeah. about Point it. Point center. Um, yeah, he, he's got the tools. Yeah, he's got that slow-mo kind of like, um, I'm trying to think, you know, Pitsnoggle came to mind, but it's a little different. Whenever whenever there's kind of an everyman, a guy who looks like he's he would be playing at the Y, you know, mm -hmm. he's he's just kind of got that, um, 
He's got that body, that slow-mo, just he's not super fast, but he's very clever with like his angles. He's a great passer. Uh, I had it written down here. He's shooting 51.4% on pick-and-pop threes this season. Uh, he can insane. shoot it. He's got that Jokic, like slow-mo, uh, that slow-mo pump fake, you know? Jokic will like, it's it's the it's the hardest thing to read in the world. Like you try to stay down and he sells it to the very end and then he drives on you. Um he doesn't always like finish super well. I was just kind of watching him from like that that perspective, just trying to get an eval beat on him a little bit. But he's very fun. I mean, like, and he seems like a great kid. Um, played for Mean Streets in high school in the EYBL circuit. Um, yeah, he's gonna be popular. <laughs> Definitely. It makes you wonder, like, is he gonna graduate to is he, in a, is he in that Kenny Lofton zone? Like, how seriously should we take him as a player going forward? I think that's the conversation that will come next. But he's very fun, man. He's fun to watch. Yeah, shout out to Kenny Lofton, uh, Team USA legend, and uh, a guy that is perennially loved across the NBA and uh, all all leagues of basketball, really. I mean, I do think it's great for college basketball. Talking about stars for March, we do have Robbie, um, who gets the Joker comps. We also have Danny Wolf at Yale, who also, they call him the Jewish Joker. So we have two Jokers uh, that are going to be in college basketball in March Madness, hopefully. Because I think Princeton might get an at-large, and I think Yale might win uh, the conference tournament. So I think Ivy might have two teams in the tournament. So we might get uh, Danny Wolf and uh, Robbie Avila playing there. So two Joker types, good for the NBA comps, good for the interest. We love to see that. Um, next one, UCLA, who is hot right now, Kyle Man, is the second biggest threat in the Pac-12. Good call or bad call. Obviously, Arizona's the first. And uh, a lot of people are trying to figure out who's the second best team in the Pac-12. Is it UCLA right now? Not looking at the resume, but right now. Good call or bad call? Well, they have the pieces that could come together. We know that, uh, you know, Cronin has been um, just sort of pounding them and tenderizing them like meat, I guess, so that he can stretch them <laughs> into, into, the, into the image that he wants. Um, I don't have a problem with that. I mean, I, I think since it's so in the air right now, if you're going to lean towards like somebody, a coach similar to Bill Self, if you're going to lean on somebody and, and make a prediction about them having their team ready in March, uh, Cronin's proven that it's just like we said, we get impatient. I mean, we see this in basketball across the board. You know, when we're talking about it on a day-to-day, moment-to-moment basis, you know, with podcasts and stuff, it's hard to it's hard to maintain our patience and not get carried away. This team is a slow work in progress because they were they shifted from such a, a core group of guys that had so much pedigree. You know, maybe Kentucky's going to go through this too with their freshmen. I, I hope, but UCLA kind of rounding into shape. I I don't have a problem with that. It's second like place. Who, who else do you think is a, is a solid contender for that conversation? I mean, I think Wazoo, I think Washington State is right there. I mean, they're second right now in the conference, and they beat Washington this weekend. Uh, that was a fun game. Enjoyed that one. Uh, always enjoyed the Apple Cup. But, I mean, the Pac-12 is really bad. And the Bubble Boys have two teams in the league getting in the tournament. Um, Oregon is probably in that conversation as well. Saw them in person at the USC game. Um, Dante is a beast. I um, mean, just seeing him in real life, he confirms all my suspicions. Also, remember we were talking about KJ Evans, and you were like, does everyone call him KJ? Turns out everyone does call him KJ, so uh, I got that confirmed scoop for you. So everyone calls him KJ. Um, Oregon's got the talent to be good. Um, Colorado has the talent to be good, right? I mean, we we know that. I mean, they've had injuries and things like that. Mm-hmm. I think there are good teams in the Pac-12 as far as talent. There's there's enough talent to be good. Stanford, one of those teams, um, but it is desolate in the Pac-12, and uh, UCLA at least 
you know, turning things around a little bit. Um, next one, Morgan Freeman grabbing Janai Broom. Um, good call or bad call. Broom turned around and smacked his hand away. Uh, then realized it was Morgan Freeman and they had a nice little moment. Obviously, the game was at Ole Miss. Morgan Freeman, huge Ole Miss fan. But um, good call or bad call to grab a player on the court, Morgan Freeman. What do we think about this guy, man? Uh, I, I, it seemed like he was maybe like, was he trying to like keep him from coming back any further? And it was kind of a like letting him know he's there, I guess. You know, that's yeah. what like a career in Hollywood will get you as, the, <laughs> as an old man. Otherwise, if you're a right. regular old man, you're just going to get slapped in the hand. Like what would have happened if it wasn't Morgan Freeman? That's what I'm kind of curious about. I think that's a very fair point. And I will say I had some people pointing out that Morgan Freeman loves basketball, especially college basketball, because What's he loves Miss? flops. Yeah. He loves the acting uh, of the flops. You know what I mean? That's what that's what draws him to the game. Um, so I don't think Morgan Freeman flopped. Um, I think Janai Broom did get a piece of him there. But you're right. Like if it was just a regular old Miss fan, is Janai Broom pissed? Is he like, why is this guy touching me? Um, who knows, but thankfully it was Morgan Freeman, uh, the voice of God himself and, uh, a, a legend to say the least. So we love to see that. Um, last one, last good call, a bad call. It kind of ends on, uh, a not so great note, but we'll, we'll do it anyway. Uh, Jawan Howard is sitting on the hottest seat in the big 10, good call or bad call. Um, there is Chris Holtman smoke. Um, even Mike Woodson's now getting smoke, but, uh, do we think Jawan Howard is on the hottest seat? Ooh, who has the hottest seat? That's a good in the question. Big Ten. We'll do it in the Big Ten. You know, different mm. classes. Yeah, I mean, I think it's fair. Um, I, I I think the the vibe there. We we've had a lot of vibe talk here. It might be best for everybody to just kind of like move on. Honestly, you know, it's let a shame. It whatever. It's that's that's one thing about like hiring in family is like it is harder to let go. We've seen that happen. You know, Carolina had that happen where they hired in fi- family years ago. Um, and it seemed like they were maybe going to have it again with Hubert. Louisville's going through that right now. I to me, that's one of the big issues with like kind of crapping where you eat in terms of like uh, like hiring coaches uh, just because it, it is hard to break up. It is hard to move on. And Juwan is a guy that has such so much history with Michigan basketball. He's one of the main, you know, pieces within the the iconography of that school. Um, but it's he's he's an insistent, strong-willed kind of guy. And I think that's making it even more negative, honestly, you know, because he, he is sort of like um, – where where would Juwan go from here? I guess is the question. Would he tr- would he go back into the NBA game? Would uh, would he maybe take a smaller college job? Where do you think this like le- what what does this do to Juwan's trajectory if he does end up not being at Michigan anymore? Well, we people get upset when you say like we saw with James Harden where he says he is the system. Um, whenever you start talking about your system, I feel like it, this the rhetoric always goes wrong. And Juwan Howard broke that cardinal sin this week. He said. Uh, when asked about his system, he said, quote, it works. One year there was COVID, but that team, they got healthy and they were going to make the tournament. The second year, that team, what did they do? Well, they went to the Elite Eight. Then the third year, that team, what did they do? Well, they went to the Sweet 16. This shit works, end quote. Um, so, Jawan Jawan Howard, even though the results were going backwards, uh, you would think it'd be like, Sweet 16, we did this. The next year, we did Elite Eight. It's like, it's the results are going a little bit backwards. He says the system still works. I don't know who employs the Jawan Howard system. I would think like maybe Monty Williams and the Pistons, maybe they like him on staff for the name recognition, the connection to Michigan, things like that. But um, it seems like it's gone sour very fast. And it seems like he he has caught out his team. I shouldn't say it seems. He has caught out his team multiple times. Um, you had the incident with, you know, the Wisconsin, you know, crabbing off a few years ago, uh, the assistant coach there. So there's been a lot of uh, strikes on Jawan Howard. So I, I don't know how long the leash is, but... It does feel like the seat is the hottest. Uh, so I, I would say it's a good call. 
And, uh, you know, Jawan Howard, you're welcome to come on to OSP anytime you want. I believe in his system. I just want to say that. Um, maybe I'm just talking, though. Maybe I'm just talking. I'm not sure. <laughs> it's good to get that yeah. in there where, when he's deciding whether or not to come on. That you just <laughs> yeah. slip that, yeah. Well, I want someone to clip Smart that out. Please send, send that to Juwan. Uh, clip that out. Uh, I think Jet <laughs> should be playing more on the Magic. Um, let's do some shout-outs. You're the one um, person that believes that, right? <laughs> I know, exactly. Cam Whitmore should have been drafted there, but I digress. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, View its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. Let's do some shout outs. Uh, shout out to Louisville. You already said it. Louisville beats Florida State this weekend. Kenny Payne gets 100 points, triple digits. Probably the most shocking result of the college basketball weekend, even though we had four top 10 tilts. Um, your thoughts when you saw that? Did you watch any of this game? I, I watched 0% of this Louisville game, but I was shocked they beat FSU. I saw a condensed version of it just because Louisville isn't on my. Uh, they don't. They don't claim spaces of my time ahead of time. <laughs> yes. Typically, I usually go. I, if they do well, I go back and circle back and and see what happened. Uh, yeah, Leonard. Leonard's got to be upset about that. I don't know. This Louisville team is. I guess there are enough to sort of like rough teams in the ACC that uh, this could happen. I don't think it changes anything about the the larger story. Probably more of a story for Florida State at this point, honestly, man. It's just like, what the hell? What are we doing? What's going on? Yeah, uh, a team that hangs their hat on rugged defense and things like that. Yeah, you, you let you know, which d- Louisville, you know, in their defense, they do have some talented players. They're similar to Arkansas, like we were saying. They've got some top one hundred players, supposedly, on this roster. Right. Um, yeah, it makes me think that it's probably more of a story for Florida State at this point. Yeah, I mean, it's crazy to think uh, like what's happening with Florida State. Just when you look at the talent of the team and the size of the team and the length of the team, that they're not a better defensive team. But um, that's a different conversation. Shout out to Kenny Payne. He gets a nice win. Shout out to Caitlin Clark. Caitlin Clark has a Caitlin Cam. Um, This happened this weekend on Fox. It was on TikTok. I have never seen anything like this. We saw years ago, Trey Young had like the stat counter where it was like passes completed, <laughs> like uh, shots made, assists, you know, points, all that sort of stuff. So Caitlin now has a Caitlin Cam. Um, and then also the athletic, Brian Hamilton, shout out to him. He wrote a piece and the headline is the men who practice against Caitlin Clark can't stop her either. Um, so Caitlin Clark is getting like the full media push. And if there's anything that I learned observing Caitlin Clark at the Wooden Award ceremony, 
is that she does not care about any of this, um, especially about the Caitlin Cam. So I wanted to one shout her out and two, like if you are Caitlin Clark, Kyle man, let's put ourselves in her shoes here. Um, do you want a Caitlin Cam? Like I would not want a camera on me the entire time. And she has no say based on my sources on the Caitlin Cam. They decided to do this without her saying, Yeah, I'm cool with that. So your thoughts if you're Caitlin. I mean, I personally wouldn't want it because I'm a like yeah. private person. <laughs> I get really embarrassed. <laughs> I, I I just feel like it, it it's weird, you know. I wouldn't want a camera on me the entire time. I, I would be stressed about that. Well, people so, are uh, asking you all the time too, and I know you right. have a lot of experience with that. So right, you, you know, you kind of already know how you feel about that coming into it. But I um, yeah, I'd be massively uncomfortable with that. I I think from the team perspective, um, but also like you said, I mean, she's a good leader. I I doubt it makes any kind of difference, you know. What's what really is the difference between the attention that she gets on a, on a on a day to day basis anyway? Um, yeah, I I would want it. I, I would assume that they're yeah. just kind of going with the flow though, because the flow is very heavy with the attention for her right now, unprecedented, honestly. I feel like the media, when they try to do this, it is the classic. You hear athletes talk about this. It's like, let's build me up and then let's tear me down. I feel like this is a build me up type of moment and decision. And I don't like it because she is averaging 32, seven and eight. And she's very cool. And she seems like very low key. And Caitlin Clark should not be treated as if she wants to be Tim Tebow. Like Tim Tebow wants the cameras, right? I mean, it's obvious. Caitlin Clark does not have that sort of like me, me, me DNA, at least from my vantage point. Don't know her personally, but um, that's what worries me. I'm scared that like we're gonna put Caitlin Clark on the pedestal to then eventually tear her down, and I and I see the haters coming out because when they see you on that pedestal, they start talking, they start chirping, um, they start tweeting, they start doing all this sort of stuff, and I feel like Caitlin is not that doesn't deserve that kind of ire from the people. Like I think she's one of the people, not like think she's better than the people. Uh, if that makes any sense, she so Caitlin Cam did not help. I mean, I, I can understand the brashness of her confidence, like rubbing people the wrong way. But if you think about like her public persona, like we don't it doesn't seem like we really tear down like I mean, we tear down the NBA players typically. It doesn't seem like we go after WNBA players in the same way, typically. So, I, I mean, unless they do something, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, like, you know, Liz Cambridge, <laughs> what's, what's obviously. What's her name? Yeah, Liz Cambridge. A, yeah, she got a lot of grief, we... <laughs> uh, which I would say was earned. Uh, you know, I don't know. People people have gotten mad at the LSU team for being confident and stuff like that. And obviously, right. Mulkey's really confident. She's a lightning rod for that kind of thing. It's like, when, do, when does the scale tip, right? Because Caitlin has that nuclear confidence. Um, it'll maybe get annoying to people at some point, people who root against her. But in, in terms of like public opinion, well, I mean, uh, even even in any in any like sort of medium or any sport, I guess that's the thing that like if they just start if there are behavioral things like if you choke, we start to criticize you. I guess do do, yeah. do you, I don't know. You see what I'm kind of getting at here? I, I see what you're getting at. It's also one of those things where I just think a general fan sees Caitlyn Cam and they're like, who did who does she think she is? You know, you like think that, so? <laughs> yeah, I think that's think what the so? general fan does. And I just wanted to say like this is not this is a Fox decision, not a Caitlyn decision. You know what I mean? Which is no knock on Fox. Obviously, they know who the talent is and they're trying to make sure they capture every moment that she they have her on screen. But um, I would. I was fascinated by the whole thing. I didn't. I don't have TikTok, so I didn't watch any of it. But uh, I was fascinated by the discourse and the conversations about Caitlin. Uh, shout out to Coach Laranega, Coach L, as the kids call him. He took a charge in the locker room talking to Miami. Um, Dan Hurley took a charge on the sideline years ago, and that was like the start of his pre precipitous rise to the top of college basketball. I love Coach L taking the charge. I love the team being fired up. 
I still can't quit this Miami team. Um, I don't care what the naysayers say. I love Miami and I and I love Coach Larinaga. So um, what are your thoughts when you see a coach like physically take a charge in front of his team? Are you fired up or are you like, come on, coach, stop the bit? Uh, it depends on how old they are. Jim, I mean, Jim's moved, 73, he's, right? Jim's yeah. doing fine, but I mean, I just don't want you to die. Basically. That's kind of where yeah. I am. Uh, I I'm all for like big demonstrative things. Um, I think I, I don't know if I've told this story, but we were getting ready to play in like a, like a t- district tournament game. I think it was my senior year and my coach was a lively guy and, uh, the team we were getting ready to play. They were the chargers and, uh, their mascot was a horse. And uh, he came into the lock. He set up a, a literal sawhorse, like a wooden horse. And he came into the locker room with a chainsaw and <laughs> sawed it in half in front of us. Nice. A chainsaw in a yeah. locker room. Right. Um, so I'm used to seeing things like that, um, I would say. So, I mean, you know, on the grand scheme, in the grand scheme of like, you know, crazy demonstrativeness and behavior, that's pretty mild. So I'm Seems fine with mild. it. Just stay safe, Jim Laranega. That's my main thing. Just yeah, don't, we, uh, don't get yourself hurt. We love you, Coach L. Stay safe out there. Uh, protect the knees at all costs. Also, make sure the back's okay before you take a fall, take a spill. Uh, it's a skill, by the way, to learn how to fall. Um, that was true. That that was something early on in my uh, my sporting career. It's like you talked to my dad's a coach. My dad's like, yeah, learn how to fall, and and, and that is like especially basketball, football, soccer, even. Um, it is a skill. So, Coach L, he knows how to fall. We love to see that great basketball player himself. Uh, shout out to Detroit Mercy and Mississippi Valley State. They are still winless, um, and they only have one game between the two of them that they are projected to win based on Torvik. Uh, shout out to Torvik with all of his numbers. Um, you know, we're, we're in a predictive business. Doesn't matter about results anymore. It just matters about what the what the metrics say. Um, so the metrics say that they will only potentially win one game this season, so shout out to both those programs. Uh, we want them to win, um, but if you don't win, you have more history. So, uh, you know, it's catch-22, whatever you want to do. We will be watching. We will be we will be seeing what's happening. On the flip side, high point, longest win streak in the country. 12 wins. Shout out to them. Duke Miles is the guy uh, leading the charge there. And Alan Huss in his first year. Going to get some conversations uh, for a head coach job. Who knows? Maybe he's, uh, you know, talking about Louisville at some point. I mean, there, there's all types of things that could be out there. But uh, I, uh, high point, fun team to watch. I like how you went from low low point when you were talking about Detroit Mercy to high point. That was a nice little. I don't know yeah. if you meant to do that, but I like that. That's a master stroke from you. That was uh that was what we like to do, you know, bottom of the barrel to the top. Uh, we love to see that. Uh, shout out to Joe Biden. Uh, we do not do politics on this podcast, but we do talk about presidential motorcades because first time Roxy Bernstein tweeted this. Uh, Oregon was not able to get to Poly Pavilion. Um, I was in Los Angeles. I had my own problems going to the Carolina Duke game to one of my friends' house to watch the game because Joe Biden in the, in the presidential motorcade shutting down the streets in Los Angeles. Oregon was almost late to tip at Pauley Pavilion because of Joe Biden. And uh, it was a great college basketball story. You know what I mean? We got it goes all the way to the top. It goes all the way to the president. College basketball is involved. So uh, that was just worthy of a shout out in general. Um, We love to see that. Shout out to TJ Bamba. He wants to know where the real Nova fans are. Um, Obviously transfer from Washington State now playing for Villanova this year. They did beat Providence. And then... uh, he, he was just, I guess, proclaiming. I'm sure some Kentucky people have been saying this as well. Some of the players, Justin Edwards, maybe. They're saying, where are the real fans at? Um, I feel like fans are very misconstrued, Kyle Man, in today's era. People think that a fan means that you just always cheer. You know what I mean? And I think that we've forgotten that there's two sides of the coins of fandom. There is the cheer and there's the jeer. Um, and for whatever reason, the players have forgotten about the jeer. And I think the fans have forgotten about the cheer. 
And I feel like we got to get back on the same basis at some point. And uh, TJ Bomba calling out the Nova fans. I had Nova fans in my life reaching out to me, very upset about Nova basketball, 50-50 shot to make the tournament. But they did beat North Carolina, so they do have a quality win. Um, but I, I, I thought that was fascinating to say where the real fans are. Um, it, it's, a, it's a very open-ended question. Who knows? Where are they? We don't know. Yeah, just fans love being called out. That's all. That always goes well. <laughs> it's always, always a good one. Always they, a good one. They take criticism very well. To, you know what? We're wrong. You know that's you know you don't you don't hear a lot of that. Yeah, it's it's a very funny dynamic. Very funny relationship. Last shout out for me. Uh, shout out to Mister T. We are dealing with an atmospheric river, aka the Pineapple Express, in Los Angeles. A lot of rain, uh, a lot of haze, a lot of precipitation, and Mister T is. Uh, on the local news, and he has uh, he's handing out sandbags, a lot of mudslides. So he's handing out sandbags to people uh, in need, and the slogan is "Be prepared, fool." Um, as he's handing out sandbags, and I thought that was the most LA thing I've ever seen in my entire life. Mister T handing out sandbags for mudslides and telling people to be prepared. So um, shout out to Mister T, um, and now Kyle, our producer, has some shout outs. Do you have some headlines, Kyle, that that you had that struck a chord with you this weekend? Oh, there it is. He's got a St. John's pullover on, by the way. Quarter uh, zip. Our producer well, no, it's a yeah, quarter. It's no, a it's, is it a jacket? It's a full. It's a full. Oh, it's full there. zip. Oh, yeah, yeah, I like yeah. that. Right from the college bookstore. Thanks, guys. Took <laughs> only took two weeks to get to me. Uh, that's cool. Jeez. Um, <laughs> it's good. All right. Also, shout out to the John. Also, out, St. John's. also, maybe maybe a, a brand anyone's heard of. Uh, oh, Kyle oh, Nike. No. We're back. Kyle's we're back. We're back. I mean, even Russell Athletics would have been something I've heard of. This is like sports stars or something. I don't know. I don't know what the fuck this is. Anyway, uh, I've got two. I got uh, a I'd like to shout out the AP poll that came out while you guys were talking. OK, I just wanted to shout, shout out, out Kansas out back. Uh, Kansas back in the in the top five. They're at number four. Love that uh, two teams fell out of the top five or top ten. And that would be Kentucky and Wisconsin. Kentucky is now 17. And uh, Wisconsin is 11, which Tate had an issue with the other day. We He was like, I just don't think they should be number six. They shouldn't be anywhere near there. They're out of the top 10. Nice. Arizona and Illinois back in the top 10. So there you go. Ah, that's uh, good to see. Uh, I, I will say quickly on the AP poll, Seth Davis, uh, AP voter, noted AP voter, no, noted uh, Duke guy on CBS uh, with his coverage. He f- did not put South Carolina in his AP poll and South Carolina fans are going at his neck. <laughs> and then his response is basically like, I'll vote them in next week. So the AP poll, <laughs> not an exact science, folks. No. Uh, so, yeah, human error. Yeah, yeah okay. a lot of human error in there. All right. Uh, shout out Gus Johnson. Uh, he just was, he had an everyman moment during this uh, Iowa game with, uh, I forget who they were playing, but, um, oh, it was <laughs> Iowa, Maryland. And mm. uh, Kayla Clark blocks a shot and Gus just goes, she got her shit blocked. And oh. he was, then he was like, oh, <laughs> oops. Uh, I will play that in case anyone didn't hear it uh, coming up now. And here comes Sellers. Nice look inside, great position. No call on the play as Rihanna Alexander had her shit blocked. Her shot blocked, excuse me. Shout out to Gus. I think we all we all had those moments. Sort of like when Bronny got the tech for saying, give me that shit or whatever. It's like, yeah. what do you say? What do you say? Sometimes it just, it's just a guttural moment. You're just like, ah, that's what it is. She got her shit blocked. Yeah. Uh, shout out shout, to Gus for being like shout one of out us. to Gus. I mean, he's the he's the best. Uh speaking of, like you can't say shit. Larry David went on the Today Show and they asked him about Taylor Taylor Swift and he said, I don't give a S about that. And uh and I was thinking, <laughs> like, I wonder 
Like, can shit just be? Can the FCC just allow shit to, yeah, can to we be get there? passed? Like, can we As get there? Like, yeah, Gus I Johnson we, should be able to say it. You know, yeah. Like, my it's God, it's just a sound. Come on, people. You can you can say worse things without swearing. You know, that's always been yeah. my philosophy. Yeah. We give words meaning, Tate, Kyle. Mm. You know, that's that's my perspective on that. And it, and it would be one thing of like you saying the word actually conjured up a curse, and then like someone was cursed that's around true. you. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I feel like that's what people used to think with these curse words. And now, at least from what I can tell, it doesn't curse anyone other than when Coach K was doing it. But um. Yeah, yeah, I think that's good. Any any other headlines, Kyle? I do. I you said you can't quit this Miami team. You know I love I me him. some Norchad O'Meara. I said he was on my first team, all <laughs> handsome last year. Uh, Jim Laranega calls him a Greek god. Uh, yeah, he says when you're dealing with a guy like Norchad, he sprained it on Friday. I'm assuming he's talking about uh, an ankle or something. He didn't yeah, play on ankle. Saturday. Then we played Wednesday at 33 points and 10 rebounds. He's a superhuman being in terms of uh, of he can recover very fast. I mean, he's like a Greek god, you know. You guys ever seen pictures of Greek gods? Atlas? You ever seen Atlas? Google Atlas, the Greek god from Greek mythology. That's mm. Norchad. That's what I like to see. And I also thought that uh, he's got Greek god-like qualities. He's a handsome cat, that Norchad O'Meara. Yeah, he's he's perfect. And uh, the first Nicaraguan player to play college basketball. So he's literally a, a man that represents his own nation. So we love to see that. And uh, I like the nickname. Yeah, Atlas. the first one in a Final Four, too. Yeah, right. I, I like the nickname. Atlas. The so, uh, oh, yeah. Kyle Mann is out of here. He's he's <laughs> cleaning up the dog duty. The dog park is getting to him, uh, but he's going to be right back here. In a I second. got to, um, I got some games to watch before we come back. Now, do you think these are good? There's a, yeah, it's, it's kind of a light week and we got the trade deadline. I know people will be, um, you know, splitting their attention today. We got Kansas K state. I know that Kansas yeah. state is not the best team, but I mean, that's one of those games that like matter, right? Always. Yeah. Throw out the record books in this one. Um, Kansas state, not playing good basketball right now, but Jerome Tang knows when he needs a, a good win to kind of get the fan base, you know, back involved a little bit. And uh, yeah, the team's tonight. had a lot of turmoil this year, you know, like Naquan Tomlin drama. I mean, there's just a lot going on with Jerome Tang. And, uh, you know, he's he's a man of faith. And uh, he's been talking about how he has uh, been led, um, you know, in some of his decisions. So maybe maybe he can conjure up something and get a win against Kansas. So, yeah, that's a good game. We'll love a rivalry game always. Supernatural things happen. The co- right. cops showed up at my neighbor's house. Sorry, that was like, uh, <laughs> yeah. it was it was nuclear for, for my wow. dog. He was, you said a curse word. And, Boog uh, was, just like that. Boog was upset. <laughs> the cops showed up. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Boog was like, it's the cops, you know. Uh, oh, shit, it's the cops. Sorry about that, everybody. So I'm, I'm back. We're back. We're so yeah. all good. Okay, so we got Kansas, Kansas State tonight. Uh, we'll watch. If you're, if you're, okay. And then Tuesday, we got Texas Tech, who has now dropped eight spots to the 23 in the AP poll versus Baylor, who is now mm-hmm. 13, rising five spots. That's kind of a, that's an important game just for, I guess, the AP poll watchers and anyone who wants to watch <laughs> top 25 basketball. Sh- shout out to the AP poll watchers out there. Uh, I think those are called AP poll voters, um, and they're not really yeah, watching that it. much. So um, it's okay. Uh, Texas Tech is struggling in the dog park right now. Baylor got bailed out because, you know, a guy didn't get a shot off for Iowa State. So um, that that game is kind of like They're probably closer teams. than you think, yeah. Yeah, they're trying not to spiral out. So that game's just like who can survive the dog park. So, yeah, watch that one. All right. And I'm on UConn Lost Watch. We've also got Butler UConn. I know they're probably going to win. But, you know, they, they've they been given some scary first halves where you're like, oh, what's going to happen? And then it happens always. But uh, Butler UConn, that's also on Tuesday. 
Yeah, watch that one. But Butler is like Loki got a great resume and they probably should be in the tournament. And uh, the Bubble Boys haven't figured that out yet. They're going to figure that out probably in the next week or so. And they're going to start putting them in the tournament. But uh, Butler's fun to watch. Shout out to that, Mata. Okay. And then Wednesday, we got Alabama Auburn. That should be good. Always also, a good game. Super Alabama natural. rising eight spots in the AP, if you care. Um, and then Auburn, obviously, uh, pretty good too. And then Creighton Providence, just I'm a big East basketball guy. I think that's a good one. Yeah. I like oh, it. Oh, that'll Kyle. be great. Yeah. 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 You're locked in. Baylor Shire. I'm going Man, to he... Butler Creighton, by the way. I'm going to be oh. there in the flesh. I'm going to see, I'm going to see our guys. I'm going to see our guy Shireman in the flesh. Big East oh, basketball, man. I'm Because you're going I'm... for uh, all-star, right? I am. I'm, I'm going on a little road trip. So I'm going to, I'm going to be, I'm going to be dropping in there to get a, get a, get a, get a firsthand look at those boys. Size them up. Cock blocks. Yeah, I like it. Yeah, shout out to uh, yeah the cock, cock blocks. blocks yeah. Shout out to uh, Baylor Shireman, our boy Baylor. He was watching High School Musical the other day. I saw he was locked in. He said it was the best movie ever. So um, Creighton is a very funny team. Um, they have a lot of characters, and I like Creighton because you could argue which guy is the most important player or the best player, like Baylor Shireman, Trey Alexander, Ryan Kalkbrenner. It's a good problem to have. So uh, Creighton's a fun team, and Providence is fun too. Devin Carter, our guy. So good stuff. I like it. Old Big East. Uh, Ryan Rosillo shouted out the Old Big East because of Kyle's jacket. So we're getting some college basketball run right now. You know what I mean? Super Bill Bowl, Simmons last is game. talking about maybe dropping by one of these times. I mean, <sighs> oh, Bill, man. God Bill damn. Simmons is uh, he's in the ether. He said that he's going to get himself prepared for March. Um, and then he texted me about is Princeton good again, um, <laughs> which is that is the first domino. Well, you start to at he's the top involved. and you, you know, as you know, <laughs> yes. you, you start at the yes. the entry point is the Ivy League, I think, typically. Yes. Yeah. In Bill's mind, Pete Carrill is the goat of college basketball running the Princeton offense. And uh, and then he he builds the pyramid from there. So he I goes, love that. well, to his credit, he goes to an academic standing. So, yes, will be, you know, whatever whatever the next what is the second best academic conference i don't even know is it the acc big i think 10? it's the big i think it's the big 10 that's what yeah. they would argue yeah but the acc now that they got cal and stanford um you know what i mean like you you got some there's some conversations to be had but like we talked about earlier rick patino is getting rid of the academics and the ncaa and uh there is a new day in college basketball coming soon. Um, appreciate everyone tuning in. Uh, this has been a manic Monday. I hope everyone's having a safe week out there, especially if there's an atmospheric river called the Pineapple Express pouring down on you. Please stay safe. Please stay dry as best you can. Uh, Kyle, man, anything else before we get out of here? I thought you were just naming strains. Like I thought uh, the uh, <laughs> no. I love connotations. <laughs> like Pineapple Express and- is a stoner movie. It's a strain of weed, and it's also an atmospheric river. Um, so like you can say that word to me, and I don't know what you're talking about until you specify. And those are the best kind of words, you know? It's kind of like good guy, bad guy. <laughs> Explain it to me. Uh, shout out to everybody. Shout out to people that are uh, watching college basketball. It's about that time of the year, and we will see you later in the week.
Thanks again to our friends at FanDuel. Must be 21 or older and present in select states. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino, LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit FanDuel.com RG. In Colorado, Iowa, Kentucky, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, Vermont, and Virginia. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text next step to 53342 in Arizona. 1-888-789-7777 or visit CCP slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com in Kansas, 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana, visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net in West Virginia or call 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gamblinghelplinema.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support in Massachusetts or call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY in New York. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.